0: Are you one of those people who can, can wake up in the morning and just be like active straight away? Can you like sing a happy song? You can open the curtains and smile, embracing embrace the morning sunshine. I don't know about you, but I'm not that person at all. Early mornings do not bring me joy. Some people say they get up early because they like it. I cannot think of anything worse. I hate Monday mornings. I'm a terrible morning person before coffee. I think my wife and those who work at Capital Coffee are the only people that see me at my worst. Other coffee shops are available. It's, it's so much easier just to be, to be miserable in the morning, more than anything else for me. And I'm the same when I watch films as well. I always find those films that are like hard-hitting and have really sobering uh, topics, they're more interesting than the cheesy, uplifting ones, the ones that are meant to be cheerful. It's kind of like a fake feeling to those cheery films. Sad ones have that gritty reality. And I think it's easy because for us, it's easy to create false negative emotions, easier to create reasons to, to be negative than to be positive and joyful. Maybe that says more about me, I'm not too sure. And for that, I think it makes true joy all the more refreshing when I can see evidence of of true and genuine joy and delight in something or someone. One thing I love about this psalm is the sense of joy it speaks about. It seems utterly real, and there's nothing false or cheesy about it. And so I I want us to look at the ways in which this psalm directs our own thoughts and feelings towards the sense of joy that we are to have. And this psalm seems to have two parts to it. And I'm going to call them two movements from sorrow to joy. There's two cycles. What I like is the truth in this psalm. The psalmist doesn't try to pretend that sorrow doesn't exist. They display it in a real way. But it gives way to the abundance of joy. There's so much joy to be had. So let's look today at this passage in two parts and how it fits into our own lives. So I'd like us to look at those two cycles from sorrow to joy. The first being uh, verses 1 to 3, and the second being verses 4 to 6. So I hope you've all got your church Bibles open. If not, I'm sure you will follow. So let's look at this first part together then, shall we? As I said, each cycle is a movement from sorrow to joy. In verses 1 to 3, we only see a real brief sorrow. These people, they are coming out of sorrow, they're coming out of exile. Now, Psalm 126 was written shortly after the exile to Babylon and before the restoration of Jerusalem. You may already know this. I apologize. But I think it's really important to keep in mind that the Babylonian captivity of Israel was terrifying. It was horrific. Their homes were destroyed. There was violence all over the streets. Their freedom was taken away from them. And it lasted for many years. But finally, they found their freedom. They were freed, and their journey back to Jerusalem was beginning. But they returned to find Jerusalem has been uh, destroyed. It is in ruins, and it needs to be rebuilt. So these are people who have lost everything. They are trapped by hard times. The captivity is behind them. But they're sandwiched between the sorrow and the restoration ahead of them. It's going to be uh, really hard times. They just don't seem to be able to catch a break. These are people who have just lost everything. So the road behind them and ahead consists of captivity and restoration, sorrow and trials. But the Lord has restored them, though. And although sorrow doesn't play a major part in these first three verses, it's certainly there. They've certainly experienced it, and they've come out of it. Now, these people who have been freed from captivity, they weren't the ones who were taken captive in the first place. Those people have probably died by now. This is a new generation. Those who have been freed would never have experienced freedom. They were born into captivity. It would have been the only life they would have ever experienced. And now, finally, they're coming back to this land they would have heard about, but they've never seen it. It must have been a real surreal feeling when the lord restored the fortunes of zion we were like those who dreamed it said in verse 1 we were like those who had dreamed i think it's because this time in captivity was such a time of sorrow and distress it was hard to believe that their fortunes had been turned around they were coming into different circumstances the lord was restoring them so yes there is sorrow in the background but the focus of the rest of verses 1 to 3 was on the joy. Because God has brought them out. They are full of just the most incredible joy. And there seems to be four different words that are used to describe their celebration. And the first you'll see is in verse 1. We were like those who dreamed. It just doesn't seem real to them. These are types type of things they would have dreamed about so often, but not the kind of things that would happen. They would have dreamed about this moment and then woke up to the harsh reality that they were still prisoners. But suddenly now they're they are they're, they're free. They're probably pinching themselves. This can't be real. And they, realize, they feel that pinch and they realize, actually, no, we're free. This is it. This is our future. Then the first half of verse 2, it says, Our mouths were full of laughter. So they were so overcome with joy that they they couldn't help but burst out into pure laughter. Pure joy continues as well in the next phrase. Our tongues were filled with shouts of joy. And again, this joy is manifested verbally in what they say. And the noises they are making, they are expressing expressing pure joy. So they are filled with laughter, joy. And at the end of verse 3, it says, The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. We are glad. What a poor, weak translation. Absolutely poor. We are glad. Tottenham won earlier today. I was glad. The weather forecast for Soul Survivor next week looks good. I'm glad. This is overabundance, this is enthusiastic joy this is more than, oh I'm glad this has happened no, there is like a a, a crazy amount of joy going through them there is no faking this kind of joy this is the real deal, this is sincere joy and it's so heartwarming to read I don't know if if you feel that way too but um, you can get this sense of excitement that is being felt in this psalm and you can see this in other scriptures as well Uh, You don't need to turn to it, but Isaiah 52, verse 8, says, Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. The same concept here is being expressed. The Lord is restoring, and all they can do is sing for joy. They are singing their hearts out. So we are told that the Lord has done such great things that even the nations around them, are filled with joy with them. In verse 2, it says, the work of the Lord is so great that even the other nations are amazed. They have heard this great news and they are rejoicing. So the Lord was restoring them. One commentary I read uh, explained how the Lord was at work during the time of restoration. And it's even mentioned in uh, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall, the wall of Jerusalem, was completed in 52 days. When all our enemies heard all this, the surrounding nations were afraid. They lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. So the people around them, their enemies, their own views of themselves changed and went down because they saw this magnificent work that God was doing amongst the people of Israel. They saw that God had done great things and they wondered why their gods weren't doing the same. So even the enemies were shocked and they marvelled. Well, I don't want to go much further without bringing this back to ourselves. So this isn't just a, a description of the return of, from captivity, but also the captivity is, the retu- it's a, in, the, in the return, there's a picture of the salvation we receive from God. So although this psalm, yes, is written about the captivity of the people of Israel, it speaks about the delivery that God has uh, brought to us And how God has freed us from our greatest enemy. And that's sin. So when we read about the joy at returning from captivity, it should make us think about our own salvation. Of the deliverance that God has brought about for all of us from our sin. And the joy that can be brought into our own hearts and our lives. We are the ones who have had our fortunes restored. We are the ones who have been brought back from captivity. Our mouths should be full of Joy and laughter. So that's a description of the first cycle from sorrow to joy. So let's move to our second cycle. Let's look at verses 4 to 6. Now, this might have been a little jarring to read as it was read. As the first cycle is just so positive and focuses on the joy, all of a sudden, through verses 4 and 6, you start getting into some more of the negative emotions. You feel the sorrow. The sadness is so much more present in uh, these verses. Verse 5 says, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. But still, we see that, that movement from sorrow to joy. It's still there. There's still that sense of joy. There's a few things I just want to point, uh, to point out about this, and it's the language. There's language repeated in the second part of this psalm, there's a number of words that seem to be repeated. In fact, the opening phrase of the psalm is almost repeated again. So the first verse said, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. In verse 4 we see, Restore our fortunes, Lord. It's been turned into a prayer. The psalmist is now praying. So they're saying, We have been restored, Lord. We recognise that, yes. But please continue to restore us. Similarly in verse 2, The word for joy comes up twice in the second cycle. And again in verse 5, and again in verse 6, joy. The same emotions are being felt even through the sorrow. The same amazement and joy that was previously felt. They've had it before and recognise that, yes, we will have it again. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, they will return with songs of joy. So the psalmist is asking for an ongoing blessing from the Lord. He's asking for the Lord to continue sustaining them, to continue helping them, rescuing them from their sorrows. What this is for us is a picture of the ongoing Christian life. When we say yes to God, when we come to him, we give our lives to him, we ask for the ongoing blessing of the Lord to sustain us. We are already saved, yes, but the journey is ongoing We haven't reached yet that full restoration as such. We have not yet reached the glory, and there's a long road to go before we get there. We can praise God, though, because we have already been restored from captivity. We've already been rescued from sin, but he continues doing some work in our life. But we must continue trusting in him. We must continue to trust that he will continue restoring us. We are already saved and in that sense, we continue to be saved, and it reminds me of that song Amazing Grace, which we're going to sing later on. The words, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. You notice in the, the first of the, uh, the second part, in verse 4, the prayer that is said, Restore our fortunes, O Lord like the streams of the Negev. And I just love that imagery, the streams of the Negev. The Negev is, of course, a huge dry desert to the south of Israel. And the watercourses are just dry for most of the year. They're just a network of trenches that have been dug by, in the soil with the wind and the rain erosion. So for most of the year, these trenches are just completely dry. But in the winter, just by the snap of a day, there's water flowing in these trenches, It's beautiful. It's just a network of rivers. Overnight this happens. This dry desert is just transformed. And what the psalmist is saying here is a prayer that he's praying. The prayer being prayed here is, oh Lord, bring us swift and full restoration. Like it is in the dry desert. How one day it can be dry and the next it can just be full of water. You can just do amazing things. You can transform and give us amazing experiences. This is a prayer that the blessings of God would come quickly and just have a huge impact, like the water in the desert. But it's quite interesting to see how the Lord responds and how he answers these prayers, you know, what the reality is. In verse 5-6, to 6, the psalmist is, of course, praying for this quick overnight change. But the answer the psalmist gets from his request is different from the request he's made. Rather than a quick and easy response... He's been told that the journey to the final uh, resting point, to the salvation, will be the opposite. It will only be through the the long process of labouring in the fields will the rewards come. It will not be overnight. It's a long process. They're growing crops and the fruit will come at the end. The field will not appear overnight. It takes time to grow. It will move through the seasons. Not until the fall will the harvest come. Well, that's how it would have worked. Whenever I try and grow seeds, I kind of plant them one day, and the next day they're dead. But that, I think that just says more about my shockingly poor gardening skills. So no sudden rain is going to, to give life to this ground overnight. The restoration will only come through the natural movement of the seasons. It will be a slow progress. But even though that's not what the psalmist wants, he's not getting what he's requested you kind of see that it brings some measure of reassurance. Those who do sow tears will reap the songs of joy. They will have that joy and amazement in the end. Just keep at it. Keep working hard. Remember what you had at the beginning. So there's the two cycles of our psalm. The first focusing on the, the joy of this salvation and the second reminding us of the journey that we all are on. It requires Patience and trust and hard work. We have a promise that at the end we will receive a reward, and it's eternal. It's an eternal life with God. So I want us to kind of look now at what this means for us today. Firstly, I just want to point out that sorrow and suffering and hard work—they go before glory. The path of being a Christian, as we know, is not an easy one. It's not carefree, carefree. Through the scriptures, we learn that we are called and that we will suffer. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. We must be ready to to follow in his footsteps. And even in the suffering that we face, we are not alone. He is with us. And secondly, we, we must press on. I think that's really important. We must press on. We shouldn't grow weary or stop when we are weary. We should just Persevere and carry on. The days of working and waiting are difficult. But they are worth it, we are told. We, they are completely worth it. God is with us through every single day. There are fields out there to be sowed by each one of us. And we are all equipped to do God's word. He has called us each by name. And for each of us, there is a reward. It's not just for a few of us, it's for every single one of us. And that reward is eternal Galatians 6 verse 9 says this and this actually came up in my daily bible reading last week and I was just absolutely blown, I'm like God you do amazing work it's amazing how God can do things like that, it says this let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up now that of course was written by Paul and I just wonder, did Paul have Psalm 126 in mind when he wrote this the language is so similar. So we are told to press on with our eyes fixed on the cross, following Jesus through our suffering and perseverance. And thirdly, it teaches us to trust God. And this comes from that metaphor of growing crops. Growing crops depends on trusting God. Even today, with all our technology, with all our advanced methods, God doesn't If God doesn't command these crops to grow, they're not going to. When I plant my seeds, I trust that God will bring life to these seeds. And he does. I'm just really bad at looking after them. God gives us enough rain, sometimes more than we need in England. He gives us soil nutrients. He gives life to our crops. Now jump back to the times of the Israelites when this was written. For the Israelites to plant crops... What they need to do is to take a portion of last year's harvest. Now this is their food supply. This, they're taking this food supply and they're saying, Lord, we should be eating this, but we trust you. If we plant this, you will grow it for next year. And we repeat that process next year. We trust in you. For them, returning from exile, they would have had nothing. There was so much work to do. The land wouldn't have been farmed in years. They had little to bring with them, but they had trust in God. A great deal of trust. Now we can all grow crops. Yes, we can water them, we can feed them, we can put them somewhere where there's enough sun. But if God doesn't bless it, they're not going to grow. And it's the same with our spiritual lives. We can do all we can do to try and secure salvation. But at the end of the day, there has to be trust in God. As we press on with our journeys, and it's not always going to be easy. We must do so in faith believing that God will give us our fruit. We should trust in him that there will be a reward at the end. And my fourth point is that this psalm teaches us that we will spend eternity being amazed at what God has done. As we are amazed by him, we will not regret how long it took to get there. This joy will be overwhelming. We will laugh, we will sing yes, the journey is difficult, but in eternity, it will just add to our worship to God. We will sing with joy. We will be thankful for the ways in which he has worked in each one of us. We shall believe that he did all things perfectly. We won't regret how long it took to bring us there. And if that will be the cause for our joy and amazement in eternity, why shouldn't it be the cause for our our amazement and joy now. Why shouldn't we worship God now, today, for all that He has done, all that He's doing, and all that He will do? We should be realizing just how amazing God's work is. We should be in awe of it. Now, sometimes we we, we, see, we seem to lose sense of what our salvation means. And I, for one, am really guilty of this. Too often, I make a mistake and I think, "Oh well, I'm going to church on Sunday. I'll confess. I'll start the week with a clean slate." Then I mess up again, and it's just a cycle. I forget that the work that God is doing, and too often I take the credit for the work that he has done. We should carry that feeling that God has a plan for us each and every day into our lives, throughout our lives. And if we do not yet know God, then I just urge you to keep on looking, keep on listening to those around you, keep on listening to him. He may not speak directly to you, but he will speak to you through others, through their actions, and through people's testimonies. Just keep listening to him. I'm going to go back to that song Amazing Grace because it is definitely one of my favorites. And uh, there's another verse that says When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. each time I've practiced that, I've actually ended up singing it. So I did really well there. Pat on the back. Now, the Christian life shouldn't be full of amazement. It should be full of amazement. Sorry. (laughs) I'll start that again. The Christian life should be full of amazement. That's the one. No one one walked out. That's good. (laughs) At the grace we've received. At the amazing promise that God has given us. We should be amazed at the promise of grace that is still to come. That grace should always lead us to worship. It should always lead us to God. And it should always lead us to being joyful. We should sing God's praises. We should worship him. And we are going to do so in a moment. But I'm just going to end in prayer.